and welcome to another episode of the Journal of Isakos podcast. My name is Dr. Andreas Foss and together with Dr. Manos Briliakis, we're more than happy to have Dr. Eric McCarty from the Department of Orthopedics at the U.S. University of Colorado at Boulder with us today. In this episode, we will talk about his recently published systematic review titled Subpectoral versus Suprapectoral Biceps Tenodesis Yields Similar Clinical Outcomes in the Journal of Isakos. Hello, Eric, and thank you for your time to join our podcast. So maybe you can tell us a few words about your clinical and scientific background. Dr. Bryce, thank you for, for having me. I'm, I'm very excited. I really appreciate what the uh, the journal has been doing and and the scientific information that is being put out there. Uh, you, you all have done a great job, and it's just a pleasure to be a part of Isakos. I've been part of Isakos for more than 20 years. I'm uh, currently on the shoulder committee, but I have chaired uh, another committee in the past. Uh, I am in my practice in the University of Colorado for the past 19 years. Prior to that, I was at Vanderbilt. And prior to that, I did my fellowship at Hospital for Special Surgery. Uh, I take care of a, a number of athletic teams, including the University of Colorado athletic teams, as well as the, the NHL Colorado Avalanche hockey team. Uh, I have a long interest in, in the shoulder that makes up uh, at least 60% of my practice and, uh, and a large interest in treating athletes. Uh, in the, at Colorado, we have a, uh, quite a bit of, uh, of athletes, uh, very recreational, competitive, that are involved in a lot of different endeavors. And my interest in the biceps uh, comes from probably that because I see a lot of rock climbers, a lot of kayakers, rowers, and, and different athletes that uh, have biceps pain. So through the years, I've done, done some studies and interest in in the biceps. So what's this basically your motivation for these studies to look after uh, what happens is it exactly because of uh, your, the patients you have seen in your clinical and your practice? That's exactly right. Uh, because of what I've seen over the years um, with uh, the, this interest has come in ways to treat it um, and, and treat it non-operably and surgically and you know, anything from tenotomy to tenodesis to types of tenodesis. And that's how the interest in this study came about is because of the different ways to do a tenodesis, um, whether it's uh, arthroscopically in the uh, super pec pectoral area or uh, through a small open incision in the sub pec area. So according to your publication, you performed this uh, systematic review uh, according to the PRISMA guidelines, and you found 974 records, but you were only able to include eight studies for the qualitative uh, synthesis, and no study could be included for the quantitative synthesis. How come that none of these studies met uh, the inclusion criteria for the quantitative synthesis? No, it, it's interesting because as we look at papers, uh, you know, systematic review is, is a high-level way of, of bringing uh, together various uh, articles and providing a synthesis of, of a different topic. Um, a meta-analysis, it can be part of the systematic review, but it's not always. And, and that has to do with the quantitative uh, ability of the information that you have from these papers. Um, for the meta-analysis that uh, we run, we like to have all the studies, including a high power um, and preferably randomized. Now, this study only had one level one uh, study. Uh, this systematic review had one level one 
but had, uh, had seven uh, that were level three. So the quality of the evidence wasn't as high as we would, would like for a meta-analysis and didn't have the, the statistical uh, information that we need for a meta-analysis. Thus, we couldn't include that. So basically, you know, the question is, uh, you know, why couldn't we do the quantitative analysis, which is basically meta-analysis is because uh, of the heterogeneity to the studies, as well as the, the lack of statistical information including standard deviations and such uh, that uh, the compiled studies uh, lacked. Okay, so what was your most important finding in regards to complications or clinical failure be between these two approaches of tenodesis? Well, you know, to, to start with, uh, you know, the, the paper showed that there wasn't really any clinical difference, meaning Uh, patient report outcomes, how patients did, strength, things like that. There was uh, really not much difference either in the complications or clinical failing. In, in fact, there was not any statistical difference uh, between the two uh, of any type of complications, clinical failure, and clinical failure was defined in these papers as having persistent groove pain, um, having a loss of fixation. Uh, they were all very similar. It is interesting to note that uh, there was a difference uh, in the different studies or between the studies that some had persistent group pain in less than 10%, while other studies had persistent group pain in 30%. But they were similar between the two groups, whether it was arthroscopic um, or the, uh, the, the open uh, tenodesis. And then did you find any difference in the techniques used for the supra or subpectoral tenodesis? I mean, someone used anchors, maybe someone used a cortical button, or is it an onlay or an inlay technique? You know, it, it was interesting. Most uh, of the papers uh, used a, a uh, screw, uh, so placed the, the biceps into a hole and then used some type of screw. Now, all the different uh, types of screws were not, uh, not the same. Um, but uh, at least the papers, uh, they use a similar technique, whether they, if, a, if one paper did an arthroscopic uh, superpectoral and used a company's screw in the superpectoral area, they use a similar technique for the, the uh, subpectoral tenodesis. So at least the papers and the, the, the authors use the same technique when they were comparing them, but between papers, Uh, there, there was uh, a lot of differences, although most of them actually did use screws. It was not, uh, most of it was, uh, you know, put it into the, uh, into the hole and, and use a screw to, to keep it down. Mm. And wouldn't it be also interesting to compare your results to uh, tenotomy only? You know, that's a really good question. And uh, we actually did publish a paper in 2021 uh, in uh, uh, AJSM. And that looked at this particular topic, uh, tenotomy versus tenodesis. And uh, in that study, we were fortunate to have level one studies. And it, it did not show uh, really any difference between the two, which is uh, very interesting as well. And that, that kind of brought us to this question. Well, if there's not much difference between tenotomy and tenodesis. Well, is there a difference in how you do the tenodesis? Interesting. So um, what is your preferred technique and did your results change your clinical practice? My, my preferred technique is a is the really a mini open subpectoral tenodesis uh, like many of us perform. 
So this study has not changed uh, my feelings towards that. Uh, I've been doing that for about the past 10 years. And um, the difference in, in probably the way I do it, uh, rather than these authors, most of these authors uh, cut the biceps first and then try to tension it and put it into the hole with a screw. I, I basically do an onlay uh, technique where I, I don't cut the biceps till after the tendesis is performed. I use a small uh, suture anchor. I uh, make the small incision uh, just under the pectoralis, lift up the pectoralis, uh, very careful, of course, uh, immediately with the muscutaneous nerve, place the anchor, uh, tie the, the suture through the anchor, and then after that, cut the biceps, go back in arthroscopically and cut the biceps and take it out. So there's no issue with the, the length tension relationship. And I've been very happy with that. There has been an interesting statement from Eric Coleman and an associate editor of the Journal of Atroscopy in his editorial comment in 2018 saying, we have several options available. None of them is superior and we have to make decisions based on our personal beliefs and patients' requirements rather than scientific evidence. Would you share his attitude? You know, I think there's a lot of truth to what uh, Eric is saying. Um, given that the science has shown us that there really isn't an obvious difference between these techniques, you know, most of the, the decision comes down to the surgeon patient preference. Um, and as I'm sure as many listeners, there is certainly a bias that we have as surgeons. Um, but I think that bias is okay in this regards because without a, a known clinical difference uh, or difference in the way that we do it based on these papers, then I think it's safe to say that discussion or that conversation that we have with the, the patient uh, uh, can go a lot of ways. And, and some of that may just depend on how they want to go about it. Uh, and it may just really depend on how you want to go about it as a surgeon, you know, and you can confidently and comfortably do this knowing that there's not going to be any difference uh, clinically. Yeah, I totally agree with this. So Eric, uh, thank you uh, once again for your time and efforts to join our podcast. And uh, hopefully we'll have you back uh, for a next uh, podcast with your next publication in the Journal of Physicals. Well, thank you, Dr. Boss. What a pleasure. Appreciate what you're doing. And I look forward to seeing you on the, our next uh, committee meeting for, for the Shoulder Committee. Have a, have a wonderful day. This was Associate Professor Dr. Andreas Voss from the University Hospital of Regensburg in Germany on behalf of the Journal of Isakos. We hope to have you back for our next episode. The views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of the society or the journal.